Uh, greetings, everybody, and um, uh, welcome to uh, our time together as we open up God's Word and uh, uh, and and share. Uh, Psalm 109 was set down as our preaching passage for this week, uh, but we set that aside under the circumstances. Uh, it's helpful for us to think uh, about this present crisis biblically. And maybe as we engage with our work colleagues, our families and our friends, uh, this will equip us, uh, we'll be able to give an account for our faith. 1 Peter 1. 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 15 encourages us to do that. So I'm going to pray. Uh, Father, as we come together now, we ask for your help. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, you, if you have the uh, sermon outline in front of you, you'll notice the first point to note as we think about this topic uh, is our fragility. Uh, the global crisis reminds human beings uh, that we are vulnerable and weak. Uh, humanity admires the fit and the strong, and maybe that's why we love watching sport so much. Uh, we live in a world where doctors and medicine and hospitals and emergency rooms are all uh, fairly re readily available. They become our normal expectation anyway, and even our right. They are our security blankets of sorts. Yet in the 15 and 1600s, Europe didn't have a flu season, they had plague season. In 1655, the Great London Plague wiped out 100,000 people, which at the time was 25% of the population. For centuries, the threat of infectious and deadly disease was part of life. We live in the age of modern medicine. Our life experience is radically different to that of every generation prior to the 20th century. And of course, if you need to be cured of uh, our security blankets, uh, it's easy, just travel to Africa uh, and you'll be soon cured of that kind of thinking. Well, at least for a week anyway. And this is what COVID-19 does for us. It does something similar. It's an unwelcome jolt, but it does force us to face realities of life that we're not used to facing anymore. And so the words of Psalm 103 verse 15 ring true. The life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it, or in this case a virus, and it is gone and its place remembers it no more. Uh, as we think about this crisis, do we know what the human death rate is? It's 100%. Unless Jesus returns, the human death rate is 100%. Uh, the book of Hebrews, chapter 9, verse 27, reminds us that all of us are destined to die once. And after that, face judgment. And so point one is that 
humans, well, we are weak and we are frail. And that's not a terrible thing to be reminded of. The second thing for us to think about is our equality in all of this. Uh, This is not a Chinese virus. This is a global virus. It doesn't respect ethnic boundaries or national borders. Uh, And so it reminds us that we are all members of the great human family. We're all created in God's image. Genesis chapter 1 verse 17. The colour of our skin, the language we speak, our accents and our cultures count for nothing in the eyes of a contagious disease. We're all the same. And so in our suffering, in the pain of losing a loved one, we are completely equal. We are weak and we are without answers. Here's the third thing. Uh, COVID-19 is an outright attack on our autonomy, our idea that we are in control. And that's not a bad thing either. We think we're captains of our own destiny. We live in the West more than ever before. We think we're able to control significant parts of our lives. With a click of an app, we can control our home security, our heating. We can move money around the world. We can control our bodies with training and medicine. Our health and prosperity is a veneer of self-confidence. And we think, maybe we think, that we have this imaginary protective hedge around us. One of my mates reminded me of this. He serves on the mission field in now what is a war-torn country. And he said, Adam, we think we're safe and secure and comfortable, uh, particularly in the West. We think we have this hedge around us. And it gives us this false sense of security because we think we're in control but we're not it's just an illusion it's just a bubble that this virus has popped I mean imagine if this virus is worse Uh, and so yeah maybe maybe let this make us uncomfortable maybe this needs to be a burr in our saddles Because not everything can be controlled and not everything is under control. And maybe it will coerce us to turn to the one who truly is in control. Which brings us to the next point. The one who is in control is our God, the ruler of history. Uh, There's a postmodern idea out there that you can live according to your own truth that our inner compass can make each day our own masterpiece, that we should dance like no one is watching and we should do whatever feels right, no matter what society thinks. Uh, It's the idea that truth is what you deem it to be, so grow wings and fly and live out your own truth. Yet when we're confronted with a pandemic or with test results, any test results for that matter, do we see how bogus that thinking is? See, if we get a speeding ticket, the policeman offers you a fine for doing 80 in a 60 zone, are you going to say to the officer, 
Sorry, mate, I'm operating according to my own truth, and I've decided I was only doing 59 kilometres an hour. Uh, we wouldn't say that. that. That just wouldn't wash. And of course, it's the progressive left that wants people to believe that we are all independent, self-determining, that you are the king of you, do what you like and hang everyone else. And the technical term for that is humanism. And I want to say humanism is bogus. Psalm chapter 9 verse 8 says, He rules the world in righteousness and judges the people with equity. That's our God. Psalm 22 verse 8. Dominion belongs to the Lord. He rules over the nations. Psalm 115. Our God is in heaven. He does what he pleases. Psalm 46, the passage Barry read out for us. He is our strength and refuge, our ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. So God is the boss. He's king and uh, he's in control. Now, people might come back at that and say, well, if God rules and if he's king, uh, why are we suffering? And the biblical answer, the Christian answer, of course, is that the world is broken. And the world's brokenness is our doing, not God's. Now, you might respond and say, well, okay then, Annabelle, as people of faith, shouldn't we be coming boldly to church? Hang the virus. We're people of faith after all. God will look after us and he will protect us surely. Oh, you might say that. Um, I did ask another local pastor what his plans were. And he said something like this. He said, Adam, well, we believe in healing, of course. So it might sound strange, but yeah, yeah, we took some measures. It's the same issue, isn't it? Uh, here at St Augustine's, we are Christians and yeah, we believe in healing. We do. Absolutely. And yes, we are people of faith. Our faith is in Jesus. Our faith is in God's promises and he promises lots of things. He promises us the forgiveness of sins uh, through the blood shed on the cross by his son Jesus, our King and Saviour. He promises us eternal life. We have faith in those things. But having faith doesn't mean that we don't need to wash our hands. Having faith doesn't mean uh, that we don't seek to care for the vulnerable and to seek to, to put their needs above our own. Actually, God commands us on this point of faith, God commands us to submit to our leaders. And so one exercise of faith is to trust God in submitting to our leaders. It's to do just that. As we live in a cursed, broken world, does God promise us immunity? Some kind of spiritual inoculation from the diseases of this world? Oh, how I wish that was true. And the answer, of course, is that he doesn't promise such things. But what God does promise, he promises that he will be present. The 23rd Psalm says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, for you are with me. And so we don't rejoice amidst our depression. We don't rejoice 
at the diagnosis of cancer. We don't rejoice because we've got a migraine. We don't rejoice because church services are closed. But what we do rejoice at is the presence of God. That God is present amidst our pain and our suffering. Whatever shape that takes at the moment. And so the Christian person is not to be undone and astonished when affliction hits us. Maybe we're right to actually expect it. God has called us. He has called us into a fallen world to minister in a world that is full of tears. It is a place of pain. And there is no way we can ever expect to escape that. So on the matter of the virus, we must apply wisdom. We engage the brains God has given us. And we wash our hands. And we respect people's space. And we listen to our leaders. And we submit to them. Now, you might continue to press the issue and say, but Adam, why am I suffering? Why, uh, why am I afflicted? One answer might be that God has something to teach us. That's possible. In Numbers 12, how does Miriam get leprosy? If you remember the story, if you know it, Numbers 12 says God did it. Why did he do it? He did it to teach her repentance. It's like what we read in, in Luke chapter 13 and the, and the story of the tower that Kara read out for us. What does Jesus say? The big idea is, unless you repent, you will perish. Sometimes suffering then is God correcting or teaching or growing us, uh, causing us to get off the my way highway and calling us to turn to him. But what we cannot do is jump to the conclusion that every time something bad happens and we suffer, that there's a direct coloration between our disobedience and the pain we're experiencing. Uh, it makes me think about the book of Job. I wonder if people have read it and understood the book of Job. Job is an Old Testament book. Job is more righteous than anybody else. In the book. Yet he suffered. He suffered way more than anybody else. It's a cracking read if you've got time. And maybe in if you're in isolation, you do have time. But it teaches us it's a massive mistake to think there's a direct correlation between the degree of his guilt and the degree of his pain. So we, we cannot do that. We must not do that. See, we don't always know. And we don't always have to know. But what we do know is him. We do, what we do know is God. When Job, at the end of the book, he demanded an answer to his pain, he cried out to God to speak to, to him and to explain it to him. And God finally appears to Job and God interrogates Job at length and, and the answer, what is the answer that Job gets from God? God doesn't say, oh, it's because of this, this and this. 
The only answer Job really gets is God himself. That God is present, that he is there. The presence of God. God is there. And we are to never doubt that. Even as you watch this uh, from your kitchen table maybe or from your study, wherever the, the case might be. Even as you feel a little disconnected from your church family because we're not physically present. We can know even today that God is present. That he is here with each of us in our hearts. And so therefore, by extension, we are spiritually present together. And God calls us to trust him. God never promises that we, we will never go into the valley of the shadow of death. He never promises that. He does promise that he'll go with us. And as we go, we go knowing we have a good shepherd and his name is Jesus. And it doesn't mean that we're removed, but it means that he is with us every step of the way. And that is enormously comforting. All right, our responses. Let's deal with this. Stay with me. Our first response is, as Christians, we must pray. We must pray for our leaders Pray for our Prime Minister, our Premier. Pray for our church leaders, please. Pray for our Bishop. Uh, pray for your Vicar and for Tinica, of course. Pray for your Parish Council and the Wardens. Pray for our medical experts. Pray for those infected. Pray for those who are at high risk. Pray to the God of mercy. Pray that the Lord would return. Oh, man, and take us to his new creation. That's the first thing, pray. Second thing is we've got to think. We need to think. Fear and panic is the enemy of clear thinking. Fear and panic are fueled by self-preservation. And me, me, me. The gospel leads us to think. Grace leads us away from being ruled by passions and towards self-controlled godly conduct. The kind of conduct that we heard read for us from Titus chapter 2, verse 12 by Anne. Read it again. It reminds us that God is in charge, that Jesus is on the throne, and that salvation is still one. Here's the third thing. Get some perspective and remember what matters. Our days are filled with things we think are important, like projects, wish lists, holidays, work, and maybe this crisis serves to reorient our thinking, to help us to think about the difference between that which is meaningful and that which is meaningless. Watching sport, getting the Renault done, posting something clever on social media. I don't know, we become occupied by so many things that are not essential to our survival. And maybe this virus is teaching us then about what really matters. And by the way, toilet paper is not essential for survival. I thank God that most of you already know that. Here's the fourth thing. This is our moment to love. Perfect love drives out fear. Panicked self-preservation is blind to the needs of others. It just grabs stuff off the shelves, doesn't it? 
But the straight thinker, the gospel-minded person, is in a position to love others and to consider the well-being of others, to make sacrifices, to serve, because that's exactly what Jesus did for us. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 to 8 is worth a read. It has much to say that is helpful on that. And such actions of love is what sets Christians apart. The fifth thing to do is to remember our hope. The Bible story is the Bible is a story of God who entered our world infected with a virus. He lived among sick people, not wearing a chemical protective suit, but breathing the same air that we breathe, eating the same food as we eat. And he died in isolation, excluded from people and far from his father on a cross. All that he might provide this sick world with an antidote to the virus we call sin. All that he might heal us and give us eternal life. All that uh, if we trust in him, uh, he promises that he is the resurrection and the life, that if we're trusting in him, even though we die, yet we will live. And here's the last thing. Let us be thankful. We have endless reasons to be thankful. It is super important to be thankful when times are tough. And it reinforces that we are people who have received the benefits of God's love. And it empowers us to love in return. Amen.